Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Listen, I hear you. You loved that Harry Connick Jr. episode from Monday. Me too. You have not listened. You've got to go back. But today we've got a great show in store for you as well. Before we jump into the conversation today, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about one of our incredible partners, Enneapath, from Your Enneagram Coach. You may remember Beth McCord, Your Enneagram Coach, from her time on Ennea Summer 2019. Well, Beth and her team are starting a new membership site called Enneapath that I think you're going to find really helpful. Enneapath is your pathway to clarity, connection, and growth. And as a member, you'll learn how to use the Enneagram, the Christian gospel, and this innovative new approach to using the Enneagram called the Enneagram Internal Profile as your lens to better understand yourself. Using these tools, you'll learn more about the core motivations behind your personality, explore how to use that information to cultivate your most important relationships, and become the healthiest, best version of yourself. Each month, members get access to a new level of core training, a live Q&A with Beth and her husband Jeff and other certified Enneagram coaches, a supportive community of Enneapath members to connect with, and a monthly community challenge that really puts your learning into practice so you can continue to grow, and exclusive member-only pricing on Enneagram coaching sessions and training programs. This membership is the answer to the common question around here that you guys say to me, I have sorted out my Enneagram type, but now what do I do? So to become a member of Enneapath, just go to youreniapath.com. That's Y-O-U-R-E-N-N-E. A-P-A-T-H dot com. You guys, it's only $14.99 per month to join or $9.99 per month for founding members who join this week, the week of April 19th. You can cancel anytime risk-free and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So visit youreniapath.com today. Our guest today is a voice that many of us have absolutely grown to love and respect and need in our prayer time and our daily time. Doug McKelvey wrote Every Moment Holy, which is a collection of liturgies, and now just released is Every Moment Holy, Volume 2, Death, Grief, and Hope. I think you guys are going to love this conversation and these books. If you do not have Every Moment Holy, or Every Moment Holy Volume 2, you've got to get them, you guys. So here is my conversation with Doug McKelvey. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Annie. I am so grateful to have you here. This is really fun. We've never met in real life. So this is the birth of our friendship right here. Yeah, I feel like it's been a long time coming. Agreed. Thank you. Yes. So... Will you back us up to the first Every Moment Holy? How? Why did you even do this? Why is this what you wanted to put your time and effort to? Well, it was it was an idea that kind of formed on its own and and arrived almost as a complete idea. Really? I had I had played around over the years with writing poetry with a liturgical structure, mm-hmm. but. There was one day when I had been working on a novel for over a year and was just feeling frustrated with myself Mm -hmm. because I can very easily get distracted. I sit down in the morning with the best of intentions to start writing. And, you know, four hours later, I've checked a lot of emails and answered a few of them and (laughs) caught up on the news. And, you know, and then it's like I just feel like a failure at that point. So... One day when I – during a time of particular struggle over a period of a couple of weeks where I just wasn't making much progress, one morning I thought, I really need something that will focus me, a a prayer that I could pray every morning when I sit down to write that would reorient my heart and mind Mm -hmm. in relation to my creator and to the – stewardship of whatever talents and gifts I have that I'm trying to use as a writer and in relation to the people that I'm hoping to serve by what I'm writing that I I just kind of instinctively realized I need that kind of reorientation on a regular basis Mm -hmm. to prevent, you know, myself just kind of Losing momentum and doing whatever is easiest mm-hmm. and and least productive for the most part. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to write a prayer 
specifically about writing fiction. Yeah. And I thought, why not do it with a liturgical structure just because the the poet in me sometimes likes a sort of a challenge and a structure yeah. and, you know, there's just to add that extra level to the creative process. And so I, I spent a few hours that day writing a liturgy for fiction writers. Mm-hmm. There's a conference that the Rabbit Room does every yes. year. Rabbit Room is a nonprofit organization, and um, their publishing wing has published both of the Every Moment Holy volumes. And every year they do a conference called Hutchmoot. Mm-hmm. And I was going to speak at at that conference. I was doing a session with Andrew Peterson, and it was about storytelling. So I thought, huh, maybe this would be an interesting way for us to close the session by, you know, passing out copies of this thing. So I sent it to him and said, hey, would this be a good way to close the session? And he responded really quickly and said, "I, I love this. But man, I wish I had a liturgy for beekeeping, mm-hmm. and and he, and I think he said one for gardening, and he yep. he rattled off several. And in that moment, it's like the idea just ex- expanded in my head, where I realized, yeah, this probably isn't just a one-off novelty mm-hmm. thing. There's actually there's something here that could probably really serve the church to create a book of liturgical prayers that the idea with each one is that it it unpacks what it means that that every moment is lived under the gaze of God and that each moment of our lives is something that he desires to use, that he's using it somehow to woo our hearts, to shape us, more into the image of his son mm. to advance his kingdom through us. And, you know, it's it's one thing to say that theoretically, but to actually try to unpack, okay, I have to change this, you know, fifth diaper of the day. Yes. <laughs> the diaper changing one is talked about constantly. Yeah. 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 Um, how does this moment actually touch on eternity? Mm. What is the eternal significance of it? What does that look like? Because I think there's a, you know, theoretically, we we can say things like, you know, every moment is lived under the gaze of God and, you know, it's all being used for his purposes and all things are working together for our, our good. But when you're changing the diaper or fixing the water heater in the house, how what what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So, so writing the book became for me an exercise in looking at these different parts of life and trying to unpack that to say, okay, I do completely believe that there is eternal significance to this moment. But on the surface, I'm not seeing it. So, yeah. so what's underneath it? What can, you know, what what's going on here? So, yeah. So it, it was that moment when when Andrew kind of expanded the idea by just expressing his desire to have prayers for other parts of life. That that within a few days, I had I had written a few more, including the beekeeping one. Uh-huh. I had. Uh, Put together a proposal and took it to Rabbit Room Press. Oh so yeah. So as soon as you had the idea, you had the whole idea, and you were going. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What about the novel? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you just have to sh- shelve it for a little bit? No. Um, well, because actually, what happened was was Rabbit Room Press said yes, we want to do this, but we're a tiny little press, and a book like this, we want to do it right, mm-hmm. and we don't have the money for it, so you're going to have to give us some time to figure out Got it. how we could finance this. And sure. that took about a year okay. b- before they were okay. able to to give the green light on it. Yeah, so that novel probably still needs one more edit. It it kept mm-hmm. expanding. It's The one novel is probably three novels now. Oh <laughs> um, <laughs> that is how you rabbit room people do it. That is how it goes. <laughs> So in your faith life, 
was liturgy and church calendar stuff, was that like kind of already, is that the kind of church you go to? Is that Was that already built in you or did you kind of have to go, the rhythm of writing this feels like something the church should do or is doing? Was it natural to you? I did not grow up with any kind of liturgical church background. Um, and I do think it's helpful to define terms because the word liturgy can yeah. be used in very different ways. And in one sense, I mean, it's true to say that every church has liturgy. Yes. Right? Because, That's a good point. Because it just means the form and content of the the worship service. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's one meaning of the word. So, I mean, there there are churches like Anglican or Episcopal or or Catholic or Orthodox that we tend to look at as churches that might have this very formal liturgical structure yes. where, you know, they might be saying prayers and following forms of services that have been developed over hundreds of years. You know, the church where the people just show up on Sunday morning and there's no sermon prepared and, you know, no order. <laughs> right. And and what they do is someone just spontaneously stands up and starts singing a song and everyone joins in. You know, that also is a liturgy. So I but, – but I grew up in in actually a, a variety of, of, of churches, um, some were non-denominational, some were denominational – but not much liturgy other than maybe some responsive readings mm-hmm. if we use liturgy in that, you know, more narrow definition yeah. of that it's sometimes thought of in. So when I started working on the book, I had been attending an Anglican church for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been introduced to liturgy uh, through the Book of Common Prayer yes. around the time that I was in college and was – intrigued by it for a couple of reasons. Where'd you go to college? I don't think we want to get into that. (laughs) Okay, okay, fine. Keep going. Book of Common Prayer happens in college. I went to to a college where at the time that I went there, which is is probably the only time I can speak to, it was a Christian college, but the theology was was way wacky at the time. I know people who have gone there more recently than I did years later, and a lot of things had changed, sure. and um, their experience seemed to be very different from mine. Sure. But mine was just four years of of shaking my head at yeah. the things that were said in wow. in chapels. So, uh, but the, the the background that I had come from, and the the even at the time the the school I was in, I was really wrestling with trying to. I I knew that there were a lot of things that were wrong mm. that I had been taught in my life and but I didn't know what was right. I didn't have wow. you know I did I didn't have a scriptural foundation that was that was holistic and overarching and coherent that that made sense. And so you know I knew that there were things that were wrong but I didn't know what to replace them with. I didn't wow. know what was right. Wow. But it was during that time that I encountered the Book of Common Prayer for the first mm-hmm. time. And there was something there that I immediately latched on to mm-hmm. because in contrast to the, the the errant theology that was being taught around me and, uh, you know, that that was the only thing that I was hearing, I knew that there was something here I could trust in the yeah. Book of Common Prayer that I didn't have to be on my guard in the same way wow. because these were words that had been formed, again, in some cases over hundreds of years and that generations of believers had borne witness to, had mm. had put their stamp on to say this is expression of scriptural yes. truth yes. and so there was something that that was refreshing that I didn't have to be on my guard against. Mm. But there was also the poetic aspect, right? There was a sensitivity to the rhythm and cadence of words, which is, you know, sort of one of my love languages. Yes, <laughs> mine too. So that that marriage of of the two things where there was this artistry and this and and this concern for that, this that th- that was another thing that had been missing in my theological upbringing was mm-hmm. was any understanding of um, how the aesthetic itself has mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. 
right? Um, I think it was Marshall McLuhan who who said the medium is the message. Mm. And I think there's there's a degree to which that's true. Yes. When people were spending generations building magnificent cathedrals, I mean, there might have been times when it was just an ostentatious display, but I, I think it was more often this understanding that the space we're creating mm. for people to worship in does have an effect on yes. on the heart and and on the th- on the thoughts and the mind and that you know the the aesthetic the the beauty matters mm-hmm. that we're wanting to craft something that that stirs the awe and the wonder and that that gives a sense of the the holiness mm-hmm. um, and it, it doesn't mean that that God can't show up in a little tin rusting building sure. just as much but you know there's there's something we're created with hearts that respond to these echoes and intimations of eternity mm-hmm. that, that we were created for Hey, friends, just taking a short break from this conversation to give a shout out to our amazing partners, KiwiCo. KiwiCo believes in the power of kids and that small lessons today can mean big, world-changing ideas tomorrow. So they want to kickstart curiosity, creation, and innovation in kids right here, right now. With a KiwiCo subscription, your child gets a new crate full of fun science and art projects every month. I recently got to gift a crate to a mini BFF who's recovering from a broken leg. It's this little felt succulent garden that was a fun creative outlet for them and a little rescue from boredom and screens and it ended up so cute that I would totally proudly display it in my own house. One of the many things I love about KiwiCo is that they do all the legwork for you so you can spend more quality time tackling projects together. Everything is shipped right to your door and there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel anytime. But truly the best part is seeing their confidence grow as they learn, create, and have a great time doing it. There's no telling what a KiwiCo kid can do. Kickstart curiosity, creation, and innovation in kids today and discover a brighter tomorrow. Get 30% off your first month plus Free shipping on any crate line with the code that sounds fun at kiwico.com. That's three zero, 30% off your first month at kiwico.com. Promo code that sounds fun. And now back to our conversation. I'll tell you what people are loving that are listening that have been friends with me for a bit is my last book, not the one that sounds fun that just came out, but before that, Remember God is about cathedrals and about how how moving it is to have a place to remember God and how much it matters. I had a wildly Pentecostal female preacher yesterday tell me that she is dependent on the Book of Common Prayer. So how how is it that all of us that stretch across our faith from, from Catholic to wildly Pentecostal and everybody in between, and I'm not even sure that's a line, but you know what I mean. Like all sorts of different branches, we actually really do feel safe in prayers that are written down. Why is that? What is it about that that makes us, like you said, feel like we can like kind of take a deep breath? What is it about that that makes people feel safe in the written word of prayers? There was a time in my life, I mean, certainly when I was a teenager, that I would have looked very suspiciously at the idea of pre-written prayers, at at things that were not spontaneous. And I've been asked questions along those lines enough in relation to Every Moment Holy to know that there are significant numbers of people who who are coming from that perspective where there's this idea that if something is pre-written – that it can't be spirit-led. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, you know, I completely understand where those where those people are coming from. I don't just dismiss their concerns out of hand because I I mean, I uh, there was a time in my life when I was when I was completely there. But the the way I look at it now is that you know, I mean, if we start with with the idea of scripture, it comes to us pre-written, <laughs> yes. you know, and I know that people 
will say, well, but that's a different category. You know, that's... Yes, no one is thinking you're comparing your writing to scripture. Right, I right. hope not. Right, nor mine. <laughs> Agreed. But, you know, the, the people who have that question don't seem to have the same question with the worship songs that they sing in church. Mm. That, um, you know, here is this pre-written song that someone else took the time to, you know, to go through the process of of trying to articulate the hearts of those who would who would approach God in worship mm. together. And I think that's a, a probably a, a helpful analogy to make for people because then they can kind of go, oh, yeah, I that's guess really I do helpful. trust yeah. that the Spirit of God could be at work through the creation process of something that would, in, yeah. that would then enable others to articulate what's on their heart. Yeah. And, and with the idea of pre-written prayers, it's, it's very much the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's that someone is hopefully prayerfully wrestling through the process of unpacking what would be on the, on the heart of a person who's going through a particular thing or celebrating a, a particular thing and recognizing that, uh, that there, there is no such limitation on the work of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. that the Spirit of God can't be and wouldn't be pleased to be at work yes. in the creation process of, of things that would serve the body of Christ. So... Uh, to your question of of why so many people do across a wide spectrum of of denominations and and faith backgrounds do trust written prayers i think it i think it goes back to what i said earlier that first in in many cases like with the book of common prayer it is something that that bears the you know, the stamp of approval of generations mm. of believers within the church. That's right. And it has been it has been refined, it has been argued over, it has been nuanced <laughs> yeah. and edited, you know, in into something that, you know, if when you hear a preacher that you're not familiar with, you kind of have to be on your guard sure. a little bit, yeah. you know evaluating in the moment what's what's going on here is mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is is this true and it's not that we that we don't also evaluate the the truth uh, versus scripture of of things that are in writing but it's actually much easier to do that i mm -hmm. think with things that are that are in writing as well and then once you've you know you've been introduced to a prayer then that's that's in writing and you've kind of come to the conclusion that okay this is expressing yeah. things that are that are true there it's not contradicting scripture and it's something that there's something in the way it's phrased that that my own heart responds to that mm -hmm. I can enter into this and speak these words like a worship song yeah 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 from my own heart so i think that i think there's just that that trust factor mm -hmm. that can come with it because it's not going to surprise you Right. Yes, yes. It's not once you've made that determination that that yeah, this is true and and something that my heart connects with, then you can go back to it again and again mm. and pray it over and over anytime it's appropriate to to your situation and not have to be on your guard. Yes. The Book of Common Prayer, as you said, has lasted for generations. And people have, I mean, I think my grandparents had a copy that my mom still has. Is that kind of what you hope happens with Every Moment Holy? Do you see it as something that can get passed from generation to generation? One of the reasons that I went to Rabbit Room and didn't even consider pitching the idea anywhere else for the mm -hmm. Every Moment Holy books was because their vision for something like this is, is very much the same as mine. Yes. And that is, you know, I mean, we can't, uh, we don't have any way of, of controlling what happens a hundred years from now, mm -hmm. but we want to create 
things with the idea that they might last. Yeah. And and we hope to leave artifacts behind us that could continue to speak to and Mm -hmm. shepherd people a hundred years after we're gone. Yeah. You know, in the in the same way that I mean there are so many writers and thinkers that have shaped my thinking and and most of them were gone before I was ever born. Right. <laughs> you know. Um so so there's this there's this idea of of stewardship and service to the body of Christ yeah. that you know, I think part of it is recognizing that the body of Christ is not just about this moment in time mm. and this place geographically, right. right? But we really are a part of something that began thousands of years ago and is going to extend beyond us. Mm-hmm. And all of all of those people, past, present, and future— who were lovers of God and followers of of Jesus are part of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that we might be able to create some things that would continue to serve Mm -hmm. beyond our very brief span of life is, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, that a few years ago, I, when I was, going through a time of a lot of introspection and trying to sort through, you know, after several things that I had done vocationally had kind of fallen by the wayside for various reasons. And I was looking at, okay, if I maybe can't pay the bills doing creative work, what sort of creative work do I want to do? Because I'm going to keep doing it. Right. You know, but what's my what's my reason? And it really came down to that that okay, you know, I I have, you know, maybe 3 4 decades left or maybe 5 years or a year, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, at best just a few decades. So you know, what what am I going to do with that time? What yeah. what am I going to leave behind me? And it for me, it really came down to that, that I wanted to try to create things that might serve the communities that I'm a part of now, yeah. but that, you know, also with the hope that that it might be God's good pleasure to, to use something of those things, you know, that would continue to have ripple effects that would extend well beyond yeah. my life. So I think there are so many people listening who are young moms or who pastors or and they they don't want to write a book but maybe maybe make a family cookbook or i have a pillow in my the room where i read and pray in the mornings that my mom sewed that has all the fruits of the spirit on it and her initials and the year you know i just think man we all have this opportunity to create something that will outlast us whether anyone outside of our family ever experiences it or not it can take our faith and our experience in these decades and gift them to the next generation. I mean, I don't hardly know a person who doesn't have a copy of Every Moment Holy. So there's just something really profound about when the other things don't work, you put your heart to something new and God goes, that's the one that everybody can have. Does that feel true? Am I making that up? No, it, it, you know, I think the first printing of volume one we printed 3000 copies <laughs> and we released it's not very it many, everyone <laughs> well that was that was all rabbit room press could afford right right i mean it's amazing so there was a hutchmoot conference that that was coming up at that time so mm-hmm. so that was the first place the book was available mm-hmm. and they had been taking pre-orders but the combination of the pre-orders and the hutchmoot conference it, it, led to the book selling out within two weeks of yes. of it coming out, and we just did not anticipate that. Right. I mean, what we were thinking at that point was, okay, if, if, if this time next year, by the time we get to the next, it would have been 
that was Hutchmoot 2017 mm-hmm. when it came out. Mm-hmm. Hutchmoot 2018, if if we're at the point where we need to reorder, then that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> and you did it in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we oh, we we had no idea that, yeah. that there would be that kind of response. And we spent most of the first year just trying to get enough supply yes. to meet the demand. I mean, we were going months at a time with nothing in stock yes. because, you know, we, we couldn't get them printed. Oh, I remember Andrew was in here and he asked me not to share about it until y'all had another order. And he was like, because I was saying, oh my gosh, I've just gotten this book that y'all made. It's unbelievable. And I was like, I just want to tell everybody. And he's like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Will you wait two weeks <laughs> and then tell everyone because we were waiting on an order. I mean, that is, it is just incredible. What a gift it has been for the last four years. And now volume two, mm-hmm. three, You, I mean, I need you to know I'm, I identify as an Enneagram seven. Our show is called That Sounds Fun. And we're here talking about an entire book about death, grief, and hope. <laughs> Everything is sad that you wrote. <laughs> well, that's because I'm an Enneagram four. But we, you know, the thing about sevens and fours is we look just the same as kids. We had a ton of feelings and we didn't know how to, how to get them out. And so one of the, there's two paths when you have as many feelings as you and I have. So I think only someone who is as creative and as generous as a type four could do this kind of work, just so you know. I I don't have what it takes to do this level of work. It doesn't exist in me. Why was volume two, instead of fun, as I requested, why was volume two death, grief, and hope? When I was writing volume one, I had a list of potential topics. I had initially brainstormed you know, several dozen topics sure. when I pitched the idea. How quick did you want to do two after you finished one? I didn't I didn't really think about it for at least a year. Okay. Um, because it, it was a process. Writing volume one was a process that did take a toll. I would imagine. And so, yeah, I just had to step away from it. Yes. I, I felt... I felt pretty beat up. Yes. By the time I finished volume 1. But I had this I had this list and we had opened up that conversation of what topics should be covered in the book, what mm-hmm. should we have prayers for. We had opened that up to various communities, mostly the the rabbit room community mm-hmm. online. And People had given lots of great suggestions, many of which were in the book, and others were really good ones that ended up on the the list. But Mm -hmm. as we were approaching the deadline the last few months before Volume 1 manuscript had to go to the printer, there were – I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to all of them, and the book couldn't be that long anyway. But there were certain ones that just felt very important. Mm -hmm. And – one of them was a liturgy for grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, for the idea was something for that immediate season of of grief when you've lost someone. But I could just never reach the point of starting on that one. Hmm. You know, I I think because the that year was so chaotic and and just. Writing the book was such an emotional process, and I was, you know, I was I was writing prayers that were about doubt and fear of failure, and and you know, for those who have not done great things for God, mm-hmm. that were forcing me to just kind of open up all my own insecurities, sure. and you know, to to go to some difficult places. And I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth, I think, to to open that one up yes. at that point and to approach it. How so, kind to yourself. That is really kind to yourself. Well, I probably made myself feel guilty about it. <laughs> so I don't know that it was I don't know how kind I was being, but Hey friend, just taking a short break from this conversation to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Thrive. Being a member of Thrive Market is one of my legit favorite things. It's an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living 
easy and affordable for everyone. I've been trying to get more protein in my diet, and they have these delicious beef snack sticks called Chomps that make an awesome protein-forward snack. And I can get them delivered along with all my pantry staples and non-toxic cleaning supplies. It is a win-win-win situation. Ordering from Thrive makes my very busy life a little bit easier, and I know it will for you too. With Thrive, you don't just get affordable, healthy foods and beauty products. You get the chance to give back through their Thrive Gives one-for-one matching program. Every paid membership sponsors a free one for a low-income family. I love that. Thrive has an amazing selection of high-quality, healthy foods, and they make it really easy to shop according to over 70 eating plans like keto or gluten-free. It's a one-stop shop for everything you need. Organic groceries, clean beauty, safe supplements, and non-toxic home goods. Join Thrive Market today and get 25% off your first order and an exclusive free gift. The only way to get this offer is by going to thrivemarket.com slash that sounds fun. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash that sounds fun. Enjoy guaranteed savings and member-only prices. Thrive Market members save an average of $32 on every order. I saved enough on my last order to pay for the whole annual membership. You can't beat that. Thrive Market is good for you and the planet. Orders of $49 or more are shipped for free and delivered with carbon-neutral shipping from their zero-waste warehouses. Thrive Market now has two membership options, the one-month membership for $9.95 a month or the 12-month membership for $5 a month billed at $59.95 and an exclusive new offer for my friends. That's you. If you join today, you get 25% off your first order and an exclusive free gift. Again, that's thrivmarket.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to finish our conversation with Doug McKelvey. When when Volume 1 came out, I knew that that was the biggest missing piece. That was the obvious gaping hole in the subject matter of the wow. book was that I, I hadn't offered anything for that. There was – the closest I had come to it was a liturgy for the anniversary of a loss. Yes. So I knew at some point I was going to try to write that one. But it took me a year to get to the point where I felt like, okay, I can – go back into this, mm-hmm. try to write some more prayers. I didn't I didn't actually write that one first. I think I, I wrote one related to for a husband and wife, um a, something like a liturgy for for loving one man or woman well. Mm-hmm. But then I turned my attention to this topic of 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 grieving and immediate loss. And I spent maybe a week and a half working on that prayer. Oh, my God. And it was 10 pages long (gasps) maybe and just was obviously unwieldy. You know, I would read through it and I I kind of, you know, as the instinctive editing part of my brain was telling me, you know, this this isn't working the way it is. But I would read through it and I couldn't see anything – that I could let go of. Yeah. So eventually I realized, okay, this must be more than one prayer. You know, I'm just trying to cover too much ground in one. So I went through and noted, okay, what are the main thematic threads or the main points that I'm covering here? And I think there were five or six. So I said, okay, I'll split it into a half dozen Mm -hmm. shorter prayers. Mm -hmm. So I did that, started working on each of those, trying to further refine them. And several of those were expanding rather than coming to completion. (laughs) And then I thought, well, I'm writing these prayers for someone who's grieving. What about, I should probably write something for those who are going to minister to those who are grieving, who are just Mm -hmm. going to go mourn with those who mourn to kind of create that space. So I, I, wrote that one, and then I thought, well, what about someone who's dying? What about someone who gets that prognosis that they have six months to live? You know, for a follower of Jesus, what what do they need in that season? Mm-hmm. Surely there are some prayers that could that could serve someone on that journey. At that point, I went back to Rabbit Room Press, and I said— I think this is actually a book idea, but I think it's 
you know, it's topically focused, so I think we can make it shorter. It may be a third the length of volume one. Um, we can do a smaller trim size and, sure. you know, and maybe 30 to 35 prayers. And they said, hey, that sounds great. <laughs> Dear everyone, spoiler alert, that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. you know, basically two years later, the the project had just continued to expand just all the different facets of grief. And yeah. as people heard that I was working on a, a, a volume of prayers mm-hmm. for this topic, mm-hmm. um, there were people who began to contact me oh, wow. who were going through things, who had just lost someone or who were in the process of dying, who were asking if I had, you know, I, I, I remember getting an email from someone who said, do you have anything you can send me now because I don't think I'll still be here when the, when by the time the book out. is published. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were, there were other people just contacting me with, uh, you know, just story after story of, you know, I, I lost my son two weeks ago to a high school football injury, you know, do you, can you send me something that, that might be helpful for the holidays Mm -hmm. that are coming up? And then there were, there were a handful of people who I had conversation, well, not conversation, I mean, there were, there were probably, there were well over 150 people, probably closer to 200 that I had you know those those kind of interactions with via email. Oh my gosh. Um, that is so heavy. It it was, but it wasn't it wasn't a crushing kind of heaviness. I mean, you know, I would I would read those emails, and you know, often often there would be tears, and I I wanted to respond. To, I didn't just want to give a generic response and attach, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a prayer to it. I, I really wanted to respond to each of each of those people because they were telling me their stories, yeah. and and it, it was such a necessary part of the process of writing the book. I think because I entered into it with some trepidation and just a sense of I'm not really qualified to write a lot of these prayers, mm. especially ones for things like the the loss of a child. Yeah. You know, I mean, my wife and I have had a couple of miscarriages. So yeah, I was, I was comfortable writing one for, for miscarriages, but you know, I, I know people who have lost children mm-hmm. a few years old and, you know, it it felt presumptuous to think that oh, I can, oh, <laughs> you know, I can, I can articulate yes, what's yes, on the, yes, the heart of that person. So I I knew that if this book was actually going to be of service to people who are going through these things, mm-hmm. that it would have to be written with the voices of those who have gone through those things, who yeah. were going through those things, weighing in mm. on it and shaping it. And that I had to find people who would be willing to open up a window yeah. to their own grief sure, and who would be willing to be very honest and just tell me when I was getting it wrong, mm-hmm. you know, that I could, I could, send these prayers to them and get their feedback wow. and and you know that they would be gracious to to tell me what what I was missing or where the tone didn't didn't fit with their experience so there were there were several people that I would kind of put in the core group yeah. category who who really were were willing to get down in the weeds of mm-hmm. of some of these with me, and there was a woman, Amy, who had just lost her husband and her seven and nine year old daughters, oh, who got in touch with me within a 
couple weeks of that having happened and and we began to correspond and for for a year she was just giving me you know such precious insight into mm-hmm. what she was walking through week by week sure. in that process and there's there's so much in the book that um that wouldn't serve people in the way that I think it will now if it weren't for her willingness mm-hmm. and and the willingness of, of a few other people who who did similar kinds of things with specific topics that yes. that related to to what their own grief journey was what happens to you after you write this book what's what what has it been like to be deep into this well it you know through the process there were people checking in on me some sure. of the people at rabbit room press who seemed to think that that it would be this soul crushing dark cloud kind of thing and and it it wasn't that you're like yo I'm a four it's my <laughs> life <laughs> well with volume 1 there volume 1 took a year to write and it was a chaotic year mm-hmm. and it kind of felt like the wheels were just coming off of my life in wow. you know in lots of different ways in addition to there were some good things going on like two of my daughters got married yeah. that summer and my youngest daughter was transitioning from high school to college but even those good things were creating chaos and sure. and, and stress i mean two weddings in one summer of girls yeah. is no joke yeah so by the time i got to the finish line of volume 1 I just I had nothing left sure. and I just kind of stumbled across the the finish line and I didn't care what happened to the yeah, book I was just yeah. emotionally numb to it but as soon as I finished the manuscript as soon as the work was done there was this uh, there was this massive just sort of bounce back to life wow feeling easy and okay yeah. and everything that had been tough was was pretty good again. And and with volume two and the two-year process of writing that, it wasn't the same kind of of chaotic season. It it didn't feel like, you know, every part of my life was a fight. Mm. But there was this steady accumulation of of gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this there was this slow, gradual taking on of a burden that I think is just part of being willing to enter the grief of other Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's as it should be. You know, it's not, there was no, there was no bounce back Mm -hmm. when I finished this book. It just Mm -hmm. kind of continued and and I realized, well, I think that's, you know, there's a there's a passage in the Old Testament where the different families, clans of the of the Israelites are are receiving their assignments from yeah. Moses. Yeah. And you know, the the ones who carry the different parts of the temple as they're as they're traveling, and. You know, so this family carries the curtains and you know all all these things on, and they 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 have wagons to uh-huh. or carts to do that. But then he comes to the Kohathites, if I'm pronouncing that right, and they are the ones who are going to carry the most holy things like from the the holy of holies uh-huh. thing and. And they are they're given no carts to carry these. Yes. These these burdens they must carry on their shoulders. Wow. And that many years ago when I kind of pondered that, really pondered that passage for the first time, I thought there's there's something in there mm-hmm. that that is analogous to some of the kinds of burdens that we carry in our lives, mm-hmm. 
right? That there are some that we kind of have a buffer from and things yeah. that make them easier. And then there are others that that we feel more that that shape us, mm-hmm. you know, and and maybe it's sometimes because those are these holy things in our lives that it's right that it, that it costs something and that, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make my own role in the process sound like I think it's, it's grandiose or something because my, I think my main job with these books, my main role is just to get out of their way. I felt like that the whole time. I don't, you know, if I write a work of fiction, I kind of feel like, hey, I did that. (laughs) (laughs) That's my Um, story. (laughs) Yeah, with these books, I feel like uh, through the whole process, my – the only thing I did was not say no Mm. as much as I wanted to say no and quit writing them at at so many points along the way for so many reasons. But really that's all I brought to it was I just kept showing up. If not every day, every few days at least, I yeah. would bring myself to the table again and yes. say, "Okay, I'll, I'll try to be faithful with whatever's in front of me today yeah. to do." So, but the, there are griefs that we carry that there is this holiness mm-hmm. to them, right? And that mm-hmm. it's—I mean, when you love someone and you lose them, that grief is an ongoing work of the love, mm-hmm. right? And the willingness to bear the wounds of love. So I think through the process of writing this book and specifically through having people who were carrying such deep and heavy griefs walking alongside me and yes. speaking into this, that I was learning a little bit of what it means to mourn with those who mourn mm-hmm. and to to grieve with them and to try to enter some of those spaces in a in a secondhand kind of way but but to to better understand that I might articulate what was on their hearts and and what they were feeling and thinking and what their the outpouring of their hearts to God might look like. So I think those people, you know, are are bearing those most holy kind of burdens, mm-hmm. like the Kohathites. And yes. and it was my honor to be able to walk beside them and you know and and through this book, maybe to, you know, to to be able to, if not to ease those burdens for people, mm-hmm. at least to give them language that in those moments of deep emotion, you might not have access to, yes. right? Because grief, deep grief, isn't always something that leaves us in a place where we can think clearly. Yes. Um, so, so the idea of having, of having these prayers that do, um, you know, that that were crafted with the input of people who are experiencing grief, um, but those those thoughts, those heart cries, crafted and recorded in such a way that other people who will walk those same paths. Mm might be able to open the book and find the comfort of being able to, through these words, through these prayers, to articulate what they might not have even been able to name yet. Yes. In terms of once they can find the title matching, the words will be such a gift to I didn't even that is exactly how I want to say that. And I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. The cover of Every Moment Holy, Volume 2, is right in front of me. The clock reads 1151, maybe, 1152. Do you know? Does it exactly read one of the other? Do you know? I don't know. That's okay. that's one of the, the secrets that the 
mysterious Ned Bustard who yes. illustrated the book and designed the cover. What time's the original? What time's the Every Moment Holy original cover say? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, and and, right and people have tried to find significance in that one, but Ned has said it's just the idea of of just sort of a, yeah. a random time. It's not a time with specific significance. It's an every moment. You know, it could be any I believe moment. you, Doug, but I will not be surprised if in 10 years when there's a few more volumes, you go like, okay, here's, here's how all the times make sense. Because in, in Rabbit Room World, Everything matters. Every every drawing, everything. Y'all are sneaky like that. Well, in this case, it would be Ned who's sneaky. <laughs> so, yes, it wouldn't surprise me either. But so far, right. he's not telling us if he's attached some significance to that. Uh, well, it's the work you do is such a gift. I, I just can't. I, I feel so honored that you would even sit down and chat with me about it because it has mattered deeply to me. The original version, this the original volume, this volume, uh, both matter significantly to me. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover? I don't think so. Okay. Do you know the last question we always ask? It's going to be a pretty good right turn for you okay. or left turn for you, whichever way you enjoy more. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what sounds fun to you. <laughs> what do you guys do for fun? You know, I am so ready to travel. Yes. Where do you want to go? Two years ago, I Got to spend a couple of weeks traipsing through the Scottish Highlands. Mm. I used to live there. Do you know that? No. I used to live in Edinburgh. Really? So you are speaking my love language. Yeah. Yeah. I And, and I also got to go uh, with my wife to Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And we spent some time in Dublin as well on that trip. Um, and I just, I, I love that part of the world. Yeah. But the Highlands in particular, oh. it's just, I don't. I don't know that I've ever been anywhere where the landscape has that kind of just wonder-inducing aura to it. Yes. And the scenery is so spectacular and beautiful, but the the atmosphere, the clouds, the water, the rocks, the hills, the fields, the you know, the the waterfalls and, mm -hmm. and creeks and and rivers. The green. The green. It's just not a it, it's not a shade you can describe. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you see the most gorgeous panorama you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And you you pull your car over and, you know, enjoy it and take a couple of photos. And then you drive a hundred yards <laughs> further over right. the hill. You go over and it's one like, hill. oh I know, I know. <laughs> Completely I know. different world, wonderful. Yes. In an entirely other way. And yeah, I just I really want to explore um more of the of the western coast of the Highlands mm -hmm. and the Isle of Skye. Yes. I haven't been to the Isle I of Skye. I haven't either. Yet, but. Um I'm going to say some things to you so that if you ever want to go back and listen to remember these next time you go. There's a, a as you're going up from Edinburgh, there's a lake called Loch Tay. There's a place there called Borland where you can stay and and it kind of is a good like uh home base when you go up into the islands. And then there's an inn and a restaurant called Ballantaggart that is unbelievable. Okay. It's unbelievable. It is the it is everything you want in like a beautiful Highlands experience, but not in a touristy way. In like a, this is exactly what I thought would be tucked right here. <laughs> Except that now that you've announced it on your I, show right. with as many listeners as you right. have, it's just going to become a tourist <laughs> well, trap. Well, you have <laughs> <laughs> you and I, we're, our families will get there first and get our chances. So, but I, I mean, I just, I am so with you. I, I was teary this weekend wanting to go to Scotland. I am just ready. That is just one of my very favorite places. So that, that sounds fun to me too. Thank you for being on the show today. Sure. I really appreciate it. I can't wait for people to get um, this volume of Every Moment Holy. Oh, you guys, isn't he the best? My gracious, I'm so thankful for his thoughts and his words. And I love anytime someone lets me talk about Scotland for a few minutes. So be sure to grab a copy of Every Moment Holy, Volume 2, Death, Grief, and Hope. And go follow Doug so you can tell him thanks for being on the show today. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you may need me. That is how you can find me. And I'm Annie F. Downs, TSF, like that sounds fun, on YouTube. And I think that's it for me today, friends. 
go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same. Have a great weekend. Get some rest. And we'll see you back here on Monday with Ben Kirby, also known as Preachers and Sneakers. See y'all Monday. Monday.